So have you ever had a really important message that you wanted to communicate to somebody and the person just wasn't listening? You, know, you knew it was something that would help them. You knew it was something that would add a lot of value, but it just wasn't getting through. That's frustrating, isn't it? Maybe you've had that happen in a work environment. Uh, maybe you had some feedback that you knew would be valuable, but nobody in authority really wanted to pay attention to what you had to say. Or maybe you've had that happen as a, a married person, maybe your spouse, and you just had something really important that you wanted to get across to your spouse, and that person just kind of tuning you out, just not really paying attention. If you're a parent, I know that's happened as a parent, where you wanted to communicate something and it just wasn't getting through, or, the, or your child just didn't want to hear it um, for whatever reason. You know, sometimes... We've all experienced that, haven't we? But here's the thing. Let's, let's flip the tables just a little bit. How often have we been the one who didn't want to pay attention? I have to admit it. I'm guilty of that far more often than I'd like to admit. Sometimes, perhaps, we can not pay attention, maybe because we don't think that the person who's talking really knows what they're talking about. Maybe sometimes we don't pay attention because... We are just simply distracted. There's so much other stuff going on and we don't really realize that we're tuning out and not paying attention. But today, as we continue on in the book of Hebrews, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. We start off, and, and really the, the whole theme of this and, and where, where we're going to begin, the first four verses is, is just simply paying attention. We need to pay attention to what God has said to us. Hebrews 2, starting in verse 1, says, We must pay attention. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will." So he, he just kind of jumps in here at the beginning of this chapter with this instruction, really with a, a warning here to pay attention to what he is saying. In fact, it's translated here, we must pay the most careful attention. That little phrase there is just two Greek words. The first word means just what it's translated here, to pay attention or to give full focus to. But then the second word means to do so more abundantly. It means to go past the further, uh, the, the upper limit or, or farther than, than was expected and anticipated. And so what it's saying here is that we need to really pay attention to the highest degree. We need to really listen to what God has to say to us. And let's talk about why. Let me give you today three reasons why that, that are going to be coming out of this passage in chapter 2. Reasons why we need to pay attention. And the first one, it's just out of the verses that we just read, we need to pay attention because God has spoken. It's talking here about paying attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We talked in chapter 1, as we were studying chapter 1 last week, about the fact that it is said that God in the past spoke through the prophets in many, various times, many different ways. And now it says in the last days He's spoken to us through His Son. And we said that Christ has the final word. He is the final authority. And so we hear God speak both through his prophets, through Christ, through his son, certainly now after Christ through the, the, the New Testament that we have. But, but here's the point in all of that is that God is a speaking God. 
God wants to communicate with his people. On Tuesday night in our Connect group, we were going through this passage and we were in chapter 1 and our group leader asked a question. He said, what stands out to you most about the beginning of this chapter? And my answer was that God's a lot like my wife. He really likes to talk. Now, I, I got a, a, a few you know, kind of funny looks from saying that just to the connect group. I did not have to sleep on the couch on Tuesday night, but after sharing that with all of you, I might tonight. So y'all can pray for me if you want. That'd be great. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, God does like to talk. He likes to communicate to us. And unlike us, if you, you ever found yourself, did you ever talk to yourself? You know, some of us just kind of talk to ourselves. You talk to the dog, or you talk to the air, you're talking to something. Sometimes we talk when we really don't have anything to say. But when God is talking, he has something significant to communicate. And so we need to pay attention. We need to listen when God is speaking to us. And uh, whenever God speaks, that means there is something really important for us to hear. Now, the great thing about God speaking to us is that as followers of Christ, as those who have come into a relationship with Him, the Bible tells us that at the point that we trust Christ, that we are marked in Him with this seal, with this promised Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to live inside those who have trusted in Christ for salvation. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does living inside of us is that He helps us to understand, He helps us to be able to decipher the voice of God. And in particular, the primary way that that happens is through Scripture, because this is the primary way that God speaks to us. And so as we are reading Scripture, even as we are doing this morning, or as you do individually, as you start your day, or end your day, or both, or however you do that, as we get into God's Word, God wants to communicate, and the Holy Spirit in us will do just that, will help us to understand, and will bring things to light, and give us insight into the Scriptures. But we have to come with a heart full of faith. We have to come with an expectation that I'm really listening for God. And we have to be intentional about paying attention. Because even when God is speaking, there are so many different things, so many different distractions. You ever had the same thing happen to you that happens to me way more often than I'd like? And that is I'm reading God's word and God's speaking. And I'm into it. And the next thing I know, my mind starts drifting off somewhere else. And, you know, it's off on whatever projects coming through the rest of the day or whatever it may be. Uh, it's so easy for us to get off track. And that's why we have to be so intentional about paying attention. There are a lot of distractions that we have to deal with. And the more noise that's out there, the more distractions, the more difficult it becomes for us to really pay attention. I think I've shared this before, but I'll share it again here because it fits in so well with what we're talking about here. The older I get, the more difficult I find it to, to really pay attention or to really be able to listen effectively and hear what's going on in a conversation when there are multiple other conversations happening all around me. Let's say, for example, that, that you're at a restaurant and you're trying to have a conversation with the person sitting right across from you. But you've got people sitting on both sides of you and they're doing the same thing. They're having conversations with people sitting across from them. And there's lots of different things being said and there's all kinds of, of, of noise out there. I just find it really difficult sometimes to, to focus in on my conversation when there's so much other noise out there. And maybe you have that same experience. I think we all do to a certain degree that the more distractions there are, the more difficult it is for us to listen to God. And that's why we have to be so intentional about paying attention to what God says. 
But please listen to me on this. We have an opportunity right now to do that in a unique way. A lot of the noise out there, a lot of the busyness, a lot of the things that cause distractions for us, a lot of those things have been removed. And we now have an opportunity being at home more to really focus in on, on, on listening to God. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. I know sometimes it gets frustrating and I'm kind of about at my wits end too, about you know, ready to, for life to kind of get back to normal. But one of the good things that comes from the time that we have more focused time is that we can listen to God. Don't miss that opportunity, but take advantage of it uh, as we're in this season that we're in. So we need to listen. We need to pay attention and, and, and do that, number one, because God is a speaking God, because He wants to communicate to us. But then there's another reason that we do that, and it, it tells us at the end of verse 1 that we are to listen. It says, so that we do not drift away. We need to pay attention so we don't drift. The end of verse 1 is a warning to us about not drifting away. A warning is something that is issued when there is imminent danger. Think about this time of year. We are in the time of the year right now where we will often have severe weather. And whenever we have severe weather, there are two stages in particular if a tornado is coming. If the conditions are favorable for a tornado, then it's called a tornado watch. And we're all kind of put on alert. Be, be aware, be careful, conditions are right, or tornado could come. But when does it change to a tornado warning? It changes when a tornado's been spotted. When there is real imminent danger, at that point, it moves to a warning. And when we see this phrase in Scripture... And we see it here in Hebrews chapter 2 and we'll see it again in the next couple of chapters as we work through in the next few weeks here. God is warning His people. That ought to get our attention. It ought to cause us to shift from, okay, we should always be on a watch to, okay, there's imminent danger here. There's something really significant that I need to pay attention to that God is communicating. And His, His, His warning for us is not to drift away. You see, here, here's what happens for those who have a relationship with God and at one point in their life have maybe walked closely with God but then find themselves very distant from God. And maybe that's you today. Here's what happens. In the very beginning, when the relationship is established, maybe there's a lot of growth that takes place because you're spending time with God every day. You're getting in your Bible, you're praying, you're, you're, you're serving, you're giving, you're, you're doing these things that help build your faith. But then over time, that daily time with God maybe begins to, to drift just a little bit to where it's two or three times a week. And then it becomes two or three times a month. Then maybe two or three times a year. and Not at all. And it's a slow drift. You see, nobody wakes up, no, no follower of Christ wakes up one day and says, You know, I think today I'm going to make a decision to just live a life of sin. We don't do that. We get there because we slowly begin to drift away. Same thing is true of other disciplines in our lives. Being involved in church, being involved in a, a small group in biblical community. And maybe it used to be a regular part of your life and then it just slowly begins to, okay, now rather than every, every week, it's maybe twice a month and once a month and once every three months. And next thing you know, I'm maybe there on Christmas and Easter and, and we begin to drift away. 
We, we begin to get disconnected from that community. We begin to not serve as frequently, not give as regularly. And it just kind of is a slow drift. And we need to be careful about that. Because generally, that's how we begin to, to move away from God. It's usually not some, you know, just immediate, overnight, radical type of leaving God. It's a slow drift. One of the things that our family does most summers is that we go to my father-in-law's beach house in Galveston. And if you spend any time on the beach in Galveston, you know, you know, it's, it's fun. It's not the greatest water in the world. It's a little nasty, but we still like to get out in the water and have a little fun with that. And, and our, our girls, even though they're 21 and 18 years old, still like to get their little rafts and float in the water uh, there at Galveston. And, and whenever they get on top of one of those rafts and begin to float, the same thing happens every time. And that is they begin to drift, right? And it just kind of slowly, you kind of start drifting a little ways. And before long, you look up and you realize, man, we've, we've drifted quite a distance. It was interesting to me when I was doing a word study on that, that word is translated as drift. This is one of the things that I came across. It says, drifting past a, definite, a, a destination pushed along by a current. And that's what made me think of that illustration. If you're in water and there is a current, it'll just push you right past where you want to go. And sometimes it happens almost imperceptibly. We don't even realize that it's happening. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to be grounded in a, a body of believers where there are other, people's, uh, other people in our lives who can see when we begin to drift. Because it's a whole lot easier if you're sitting on the beach to see that someone has drifted than it, than it is to see it when you're on the raft and just kind of slowly being taken away by the current. But here's the thing. We won't stop drifting until we make a change in whatever it is that caused us to get into that current in the first place. It doesn't just happen. We have to make a decision to say, okay, I'm going to change something in my life. I'm going to reprioritize things. I'm going to reconnect. I'm going to begin spending time with God on a regular basis. Whatever it is, uh, we, we need to make those changes. And so that, that tells me that we should evaluate things in our lives that cause us to drift and understand what those things are. I mean, it could be materialism, love of money. It could be immorality. It could be substance abuse. It could be fear. It could be any number of things. But we need to be able to identify those things and say, this is what's causing me to drift and be aware of it so that I can make the changes necessary to get back in alignment. Let me give you just a, a small example, maybe kind of a, a bit of a silly example. There's something I was thinking about because it happened within the last week. I was uh, out doing some yard work, which I find myself doing more frequently than I used to nowadays because it gives me an excuse to move around and maybe get outside a little bit more. But uh, I was mowing the grass and, and I had my little AirPods in and I'm listening to my music, which I do often, but I decided to do something kind of a little bit different. And that was I put on some 80s music this time. I'm going to have a little fun mowing the grass, listen to my 80s music, you know, remind myself of childhood, that kind of thing. And, and there's some fun music there, and, and some of it, you know, is, is fine. There's not anything harmful about it. Uh, but if you listen to a lot of 80s music, you'll probably, or really just about any music, you'll find out some of the lyrics aren't exactly the most God-honoring in the world. And after a little while of listening to that, here's what I found happening. I found that mentally... My mind began to drift a little bit. I'm thinking, I, I don't need to do that, 
right? Being, being aware of that. And after a little bit, I was like, okay, I'm going to change that. I'm going to just change what I'm doing. Now, don't hear me saying that if you ever listen to any type of secular music, you know, that you're drifting away from God. I understand that's, that's not necessarily the case. But my point is that we need to be aware and realize when there are those things that are, even if it's just a small drift, if they're beginning to, uh, to make a difference and then we act on it, we do something about it. All right, let's pick up the pace a little bit because we're in verse 1 and we're actually going to get through most of the chapter here. So, um, so verses 2 through 4 begin to talk about um, one of the things that we need to pay attention to is this salvation that God has offered us. And it, it says, For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation, violation and disobedience received is just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Uh, the, the point is this, that God offers to us eternal life through Christ. He offers salvation. Jesus died in our places. We'll come back to here a little bit later in the chapter to talk about. And so God offers forgiveness and eternal life. He offers the opportunity to find peace and purpose in this life. But the flip side of that is if we ignore it, meaning that if we reject Christ, if we don't put our faith in Christ, at that point, then not only are we missing out on the good that God wants to give us, but we're putting ourselves in a dangerous place because what we'll receive will not be good. And that's why he is warning them so clearly here and saying, look, this, this is an important message. So important, in fact, in verse 4, it said that God testified to it by signs, wonders, various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This, it's obvious that this message is an authentic message. One of the ways that it was authenticated was through these signs and miracles, especially in the early church. They didn't have the written New Testament to go by. And so God authenticated the, the, the validity of this message by these signs and miracles. Now, can God continue to do those things? Of course he can. He can continue to do and does continue to do miracles today. It's not necessarily the primary way that God authenticates his message today. Uh, but he's communicating to them here that this is, this is real. And if we don't pay attention to it, we ignore it at our own peril. So let me give you one more reason that we should pay attention to what God is saying. And that is, we should pay attention because of what Christ has done for us. The rest of this chapter is laying out all that Christ has done for us. And we're going to move through it pretty quickly. We won't have time to spend just a whole lot of time on each individual thing. But let, let me just, for now, read verses 5 through 9. Is it not... It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? The Son of Man that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. Because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, I want to be clear about something because this could be confusing at first glance. We could read this. And one of the things that we studied last time in chapter 1 was the fact that Jesus was worshipped by the angels. It says that chapter 1. And Jesus, is, being God, was worshipped by the angels. But now we get into this chapter and it says Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. How can it be that Jesus is above the angels and lower than the angels at the same time? And does this in some way indicate that Jesus was not divine 
in his earthly nature? And the answer to that is, that's not at all what it means. Here's what it does mean. If you read the context of that verse, in verse 9 it says, We see this Jesus who is made lower than the angels for a little while. Some of those, some translations are a little lower than the angels. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. When it says that Jesus was made lower than the angels, what it's saying is that he humbled himself to the point of tasting death for us. Philippians chapter 2 uh, talks about how Christ emptied himself for us. That's what it's getting at here. To say that Jesus made himself a little lower than the angels is talking about how he set aside some of his rights as God. Now he continued to be divine, but he did set some of those things aside. He subjected himself to the rulers of his day, to the authorities of his day. He even allowed himself to be crucified in our place. That's how he lowered himself. He humbled himself uh, on, on our behalf. And then it goes on and talks about the specific things that he did. And I'm going to touch on them. I think there are about six of them that I'm going to touch on real quickly. But the first one is what we're talking about here in verse 9. And that is that he died for us. Jesus died in our place. It says that he tasted death for everyone. You ever tasted something that was just awful? And you know what that is like, right? You know how to taste something, death being the worst thing you could possibly taste. And by the way, he's talking about death really in a twofold here. One is physical death, but the second is spiritual death. Because Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins, so he died physically. And he experienced all the weight of the punishment of our sin or spiritual death. Um, we know what it's like to taste something that's just awful. And Jesus did that for us. He tasted death for us. But when I read that word tasted, it made me think of something else too. And that is that Jesus just, he got a taste of death. But death didn't, didn't conquer him. In fact, Jesus swallowed up death. If you think of it in those terms, he tasted it, but swallowed it, got rid of it. It makes me think about what Paul says, that the death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus tasted death, but he didn't stay there very long. It was just a little taste. He came back and rose from the dead and is alive today. But he tasted death on our behalf. Verse 10 points out the fact that he also suffered on our behalf. I will be forever humbled and forever grateful when I think of all that Christ did for us. All the ways that he suffered for us, the torture, the physical suffer, the emotional, spiritual, all that he went through because he loves you and because he loves me and because he wanted to take care of our sin penalty. It's amazing to think of what Jesus suffered on our behalf. But then as we continue reading on past that in verse 11, it says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Uh, Jesus also brought us into his family. <laughs> this is amazing. You and I have been, through faith in Christ, have been brought into the family of God. We have been made sons and daughters of the Father. We've been made brothers and sisters to Christ himself. This is not some distant family relationship. We are part of the immediate family of God. That means that we have direct access to God. That means we can know God personally, intimately. It's amazing to think 
uh, that Jesus did that, and he brought us into his family. And then skip down to verse 14 where it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus broke the power of death. Now going back to what we said a moment ago, we were spiritually dead. He's not just talking about physical death here. He's talking about spiritual death and the, the consequences of our sin. Jesus broke the power of that. He did that when we could never do that for ourselves. Sometimes we use the phrase a death grip to talk about you know, something that, that has such a tight hold that there is no way, it is impossible to get out of the grip. That's a death grip. Well, Jesus broke the death grip through his own death. He broke the power of death, meaning that we don't have to be tied down by that anymore. That we can have new life in Christ. New life that begins now and new life that carries on into eternity. And as a result, look at what it says in verse 15. It says, And to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus set us free from the fear of death. Anyone fear death? See, I suspect that there's someone who's watching or listening right now that is struggling with the fear of death. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you may not have much longer in this life and the reality of that has begun to hit you. Maybe it's just a fear that something could happen. Maybe it's a fear with all that's going on right now. What if I catch the virus? What if I get sick? What if I die? And the fear of death can be absolutely crippling. But Jesus came not only to defeat death, but to deliver us from the fear of death. See, you don't have to be afraid of death. I don't want to downplay the significance. I know it's a big deal. I'm not downplaying that at all. But here's the thing. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, when we understand what eternity holds for us, we don't have to fear death. You see, when this life ends for a believer, the good stuff is just getting started. We can have that confidence, that security to know that because of what Jesus has done, death doesn't have power over us anymore. But we can have just the, the sense of peace and the sense of, of, of victory because of what Christ has done. Here's one last thing that I want to mention to you, and then we'll wrap it up here. Jesus became our high priest. The rest of the verses there, starting in... In, in verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. I love that, that, that description of what Jesus did for us as our great high priest. Now, later in the book of Hebrews, it dives further into what this looks like, and we won't have time to go into it a whole lot right now. Hopefully we can come back to that in greater detail later. But the high priest really had a couple of functions that are mentioned in Hebrews 2. One was to make the atoning sacrifice. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, offer a sacrifice of atonement, take an unblemished animal, and offer this on behalf of the people to cover the sins of the people. Jesus, as our great high priest didn't offer an unblemished animal. He offered himself 
as the unblemished Lamb of God and became our sacrifice. He gave Himself for us. And then verse 18 says, Because He Himself suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. See, the second thing a high priest did is he was a spiritual leader for the people. He helped the people grow in their faith. He helped them understand what it looks like to have a relationship with God and to, to follow God's commands. That was an important role for the high priest. How does Jesus do that for us? This is remarkable to me. The way Jesus leads us and helps us in our faith is that he suffered just like we do and yet was without sin, but he suffered like we do. And it says because of that, he is able to help us when we're being tempted. Here's what that means. Whenever we go through a trial, whenever we go through a temptation, whenever we're struggling and we aren't sure where to turn, we can turn to Jesus. He understands. He gets it. He knows what it's like because he's been there. And he is this merciful high priest that not only gave his life for us, but continues to be there and be available for us to guide us through whatever we need. That's, that's some significant stuff there. That's a lot to cover, actually, in one day. But you can see why at the beginning of this chapter it says, let me warn you to pay attention. It's so important for us to pay attention. You know that current we talked about earlier? It just kind of carries us along and can move us past the places that we really should be going. That current's really strong in our culture. And unless we make a decision to get out of the current and do something different, we're going to just continue drifting along. I wonder if you find yourself being pulled along in that current right now. And I wonder if you realize it's time to get out. It's time to make a change. It's time to pay attention to what God says. And let that be the priority that pulls us out of this ongoing drift so that we can really pursue a right relationship with God. Let's pray. Lord, today I do thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave yourself for us, that you became this, this faithful high priest, that you sacrificed yourself, that you suffered when you were tempted and so you're able to help those, help us when we're being tempted. Lord, help us to trust in you wholeheartedly. And I pray for each person today that is struggling with being pulled along by that current and that is drifting away, that today would be a day to get out and to get back on firm ground and to pursue you as a number one priority. In your name we pray. Amen. Today, if you know that, um, that you're that you're drifting, you know that something needs to change, then I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to make a, a decision to change something. Maybe that's a decision to, to refocus and rededicate your, your life to Christ. Maybe that's a decision to trust in Christ for the very first time to give your heart to Him. Maybe it's a decision to get involved in biblical community. Whatever it may be, whatever that next step for you is, I want to encourage you to take that next step. And if there's something on your heart today, here's what we want you to do. We want you to text us and let us know. And you can text that keyword response to the number on the screen. And whatever your response is, whether it's one of rededication, of accepting Christ, of plugging into a small group, of saying, I need to get baptized, whatever that next step is, it'll help you grow. Text that word response. We'll send you back a little form where you can communicate with us and let us know uh, what that next step is so we can come alongside and we'll be happy 
to, to do that. 